We're going to be turning to the Gospel of John this morning, starting a new book, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the fourth book of the New Testament, found on page 886 of the Bibles that are in the pews. And we're going to be looking at the first part of the first part. We're going to be looking at the first part of the prologue, John 1, 1 through 8. So eight verses this morning in a brand new book of the Bible. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, once again, we assemble and and come before you, and as part of our worship service this morning, we want to hear your word proclaimed. We acknowledge that this is the inerrant, infallible word of God, that in these words you are speaking to us. So Father, as they are uh, faithfully preached and proclaimed, we ask the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit would would show us the true meaning of this passage, allow it to sink in, to penetrate our hearts and minds. And we trust that you will complete the work in us that that needs to be done. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Some introductions are informal low-key, and relaxed. If you've ever found yourself initiating a pickup game of basketball, these are the type of introductions that happen on the court. I remember very clearly um, many years ago, either at an open gym time or just at a park or something, approaching a stranger or someone I didn't know approaching me and saying something like, hey, do you want to play a game? Sure, I'm Kurt. I'm Steve, let's play. That's it. That's about all there was to an introduction. It was simply an exchange of first names. Then there are formal introductions. These are official, almost ceremonial type of introductions. And they're not done by the person themselves. Someone else does the introducing. They're standing off stage somewhere. And it's usually the host or the MC of the event. Maybe it's some fancy a fundraiser, or maybe it's a national conference with a lot of important people gathered, and someone comes up to the podium and begins by saying something like, our speaker tonight is, and then they go on and they list where they're from. They list where they went to school, what degrees they've earned. They go on to list their accomplishments, the, the positions they've held, maybe any published works. They talk about the boards they've served on. And they, this can go on for quite some time. I don't know if you've heard one of these long, extended, formal introductions. And then they close by saying, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome. And then they say the name of the speaker. But if they're really important, like top tier, then they say, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the one and only And then they say their name, and they come out. That's a formal introduction. In the opening pages of the Gospel of John, John introduces Jesus. And this is no first name exchange on the basketball court. This is a formal introduction. This is a powerful 
introduction. There has never been an introduction like this in the history of the world. John introduces Jesus and he calls him eternal, creator, giver of life, and full of God. That's how John introduces Jesus. And so we're going to read the first part of this introduction this morning. And I'm going to close with two challenge questions. Number one, do you know Jesus? Not do you know of him, but do you know him with saving faith? And number two, if you already know him, are you walking with him? And we'll talk about what that means. So here's the beginning of the beginning. The first eight verses of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So this, this marks the beginning of a, of a new sermon series. We're going to walk through the entire book of John. And this is one of the, the four Gospels that, prevent, or that present the life and ministry of Jesus. We, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those first three are often called the synoptic Gospels because they present a lot of the same information about the life and ministry of Jesus in the same way. Synoptic literally means together sight. So those three Gospels set us, are set aside by themselves because they present a lot of the same material in, in, a, in a similar manner and even in a similar order. But the Gospel of John stands apart. It's not one of the synoptics. It stands apart in a couple of different ways. Well, first of all, Jesus' parables are all found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You will not find a parable in the Gospel of John. They're just not here. It's different. In addition, John has a different outline than the other Gospels. All the other ones follow a fairly similar pattern. John's different. John can be broken up into a very simple outline. The prologue, chapter 1, 1 through 18, and then the book of Signs, uh, 119 through chapter 12, the book of glory, chapter 13 through 20, and then the epilogue, chapter 21. So a very basic four-part four part outline, and the prologue and the epilogue are, are fairly short. So it looks different. And we're calling this new sermon, sermon series just that simple. Because the Gospel of John has one consistent message throughout, and that is by believing in Jesus, you may have life. It's just that simple. And it really does permeate the entire book. Almost every chapter of this, of this book has some teaching, some discussion, some, some talking point about belief in Jesus. It's all over the place. It's a recurrent theme. And if that wasn't enough, the, the author himself, John, at the end of the book, 
tells us, he flat out tells us the purpose of the book. And he tells us in John 20, 30 through 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. There it is. Jesus plus belief equals life. It's just that simple. Now, it's a simple message, but that doesn't mean that there are no difficult or complicated passages in the Gospel of John. It doesn't mean that by, by a simple cursory glance and just kind of a hurried walkthrough reading, you can... You can just walk by the Bible and look at the page and say, oh, okay, that's what it means. I understand the Bible now. Not necessarily. There are some difficult parts. There are some hard to believe, or not hard to believe, but hard to understand parts in John. It's been called shallow enough for a new believer to wade in, but deep enough for a theologian to drown in. And this morning we're getting in on the ground floor. This is the very first message on the Gospel of John. So if you stick with it, you will have the entire Gospel of John with full explanation, illustration, and application. So as we begin, let's, let's look at verse 1. It says, in the beginning. Now it's interesting, Mark begins his Gospel by going back with an account of John the Baptist and the onset of Jesus' ministry. And then Luke goes back a little further and takes us back to the birth narratives of Jesus and his conception and, and the very beginnings of his, of his life. And then Matthew goes back a little bit further, actually quite a bit further, and takes us back with a genealogy. Remember, that's the one that starts with, with a genealogy that goes all the way back to Abraham. And then John, we see, not to be outdone, goes back all the way. He goes back all the way to the beginning. When we read this language in the beginning, we need to understand he is importing Old Testament language. This is Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So he intentionally brings his readers back to creation, back to the beginning. But instead of writing in the beginning, God, we see in the beginning was the word. And we need to understand the Word is Jesus. When John writes the Word, he means Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus. In the Old Testament, the Word of God was the self-expression of God. It was the creative power of God. It was the revelation of God. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. It's all those things incarnate in the, in the fully God, fully man, Jesus. Jesus is the Word. So let's keep that in mind as we read through this. It's Jesus. And the Word was with God. The Word, Jesus, was with God in the beginning. Before anything else. So let's understand what he's saying. He's saying Jesus is personal, uncreated, eternal, yet distinct from the Father. We've already got all of that from the text. And the Word was God. So the word is not some uh, impersonal force. The word is, is not a created power. The word is not uh, an attribute of God, personified like wisdom or love. The word was and is God. Now this is a statement of divinity. 
And it's a statement when he says with God and was God and with, with God and was God, this is a place where we can turn to to help build our doctrine of the Trinity because Jesus is at the same time with God in relationship with God the Father, but also distinguished from God the Father so that they're not the same person. And Jesus is also described as fully divine, fully God. So we can begin to see how that, that fits together in the doctrine of the Trinity. Now I'm going to take a very brief rabbit trail just for a moment, and we're going to zoom in on this phrase, and the word was God. Now, I am convinced that this is necessary, and before we even begin, I'm going to let you know this. This is about as technical as we're ever going to get throughout the whole sermon series. Okay, we're not going to put Greek up on the screen, but we are going to get into the weeds. And I think it is necessary because this is one of the places where false teachers and heretics and those that are anti-Christ will go to try to knock down the divinity of Jesus. So it's important if anyone ever knocks on your door or if you ever get in a conversation with someone and they try to take you to John 1 and say, see, Jesus really isn't fully God and here's why. I want you to know what they're trying to say and I want you to know how to respond to that. Even if you can't rebuild this argument, you need to, to hear this. This is important because this is where they go to attack Jesus. They'll say something like this. They'll say, well, if you see right here, and the word was God, in the Greek, they'll say, uh, God does not have a de definite article. Um, in our language, that would be the word the. God does not have the definite article. And this means that Jesus could be God-like, or that Jesus could be a God, but he's not the God. That's their argument. And I don't want to insult anybody's intelligence, but let's just make sure we understand what the definite article is and what it means. It's the. So if, if two uh, landscaping workers were, were working together and someone says, put this rock by a tree, then the worker would say, okay, and they'd put it by whatever tree looked good to them. But if they said, put this rock by the tree, then we know he has a definite tree in mind. Not just any tree, that, that one tree, the tree. It's the same thing in Greek. They do the same thing. It can be indefinite, where we don't use the word the, or they can use the, I mean one specific item, one particular person. So they'll say, well, the Greek doesn't have a definite article, and that's correct. There is no word in Greek for the in front of God. In between was and God, there's just, there's nothing there. In fact, that's not the right order. But anyway, in the, in the Greek, the word order is, is a little different, but there's no definite article. However, an absence of the definite article in this type of grammatical construction does not necessarily indicate indefiniteness. In other words, in the Greek, if you don't have the word the, the equivalent of that, it doesn't necessarily mean that it shouldn't be translated like that. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's open to, to any, any uh, kind of indefinite reference. And we don't have to look too far for another example of this. I want to show you John 149. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now in the original Greek, the before king is not there. But it's translated with the word the and it's translated as definite because of the context and because of the grammatical construction. And if you really want to get technical, it's, it's noun, verb, predicate noun. Okay, when you have those three together, it's very common not to have the word the, but still mean 
a definite noun. So we don't need the. Because the strong meaning comes across in the translation and it's made, made, it's made plain in the immediate context and in the wider context of John and the Bible that he's talking about God, the God. But at the same time, he's not excluding any other persons. Let's put it this way. If, what, let's say John had included the definite article. Let's say it says, and the word was the God. Well, now we have heresy. Now, now we have Jesus alone being God to the exclusion of others. This makes no room for the Father, no room for the Holy Spirit. So we can be confident that the way it appears in your Bible is exactly the way it appears in the Greek, and it's exactly the way God intended it for it to be written and preserved for us today. John correctly writes that while the word Jesus is God, there is also more to God than just Jesus. So I want you to be aware of that. Yes, there's no definite article in the Greek. That's correct. But that doesn't mean that Jesus was a God or God-like, which is what the context makes clear. The word does not complete the entire Godhead, but the word Jesus is no less God than God the Father or God the Holy Spirit. So let's go back. Verse 2 repeats verse 1. He, meaning the word, was in the beginning with God. This is just a repetition of what's, what was said in verse 1. Why repeat it? Well, we repeat things because we want to emphasize something. We repeat things because we want to clearly communicate something. That's what John's doing. That's what he's doing in verse 2. Verse 3, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. This is a statement about Jesus and creation, and it's made both positively and negatively. First positively, he says all things were made through him, through the word, through Jesus. Jesus cannot be a created thing because all created things were made through him. He's saying, look, there's only two categories here. You've got created things and uncreated things. Jesus made all the created things, which means he must be an uncreated thing. And then negatively, and without him was not anything made that was made. The NIV smooths this out a little bit for us. Uh, without him, nothing was made that has been made. God is the only one who is self-existent. God is the only one who has no beginning. Everything else has a beginning. All things, you, me, everything in the universe, the planets, the stars, the animal, the plant life, every molecule, every, the tiniest particle that you can think of in existence in the universe, that all had a beginning. God didn't. The Word didn't. The Holy Spirit didn't. All of it was created by God through the activity of the Son, by the power of the Spirit. In verse 4 it says, In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Here, here's some more Genesis language. Here's those key words, life, light, darkness. You're going to find all of that in chapter 1 of Genesis. So just as God brought light into the darkness in Genesis 1, Jesus brings spiritual light in John 1. God brought life into the world in Genesis 1. Jesus brings spiritual life into the world in John 1. Jesus is both creator and author of physical life. He is also the creator and author of spiritual life. 
Nothing came into existence or came into life in the beginning outside of Jesus Christ. Nothing comes into spiritual life without Jesus Christ. But there's more here than a, than a second Genesis type of creative act by the Word, the Son of God. He's introducing Jesus. This is an introduction. And because Jesus is so far above everyone else, because there's top tier and then there's Jesus who's on top of the top tier, because he's so far up there, he doesn't just get the long extended introduction, he gets the one and only. He is the one and only giver of life. There is no other. In him was life. John 5, 26, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. No one else has been sent by God. No one else has been authorized by God. No one else has come before Jesus. No one is coming after Jesus. He is the only one, or the one and only, giver of life. John 14, 6, this is probably one of the most well-known statements about the exclusivity of salvation in Christ, and it's found in the book of John, John chapter 14. No one comes to the Father except through me. It doesn't get much simpler than that. No one comes to the Father through me. Comes to the Father means no one lives spiritually. No one's saved from the penalty of of sin. No one avoids being cast into hell. No one except through me. Jesus. We're not saved through obeying the law either man's law or God's law. We're not not saved by that. We're not saved by doing unto others what we would like them to do unto us. We're not saved by good deeds, by volunteerism, by charitable works, by supporting worthy causes. We're not saved by being kind or nice or generous or compassionate or any other thing you want to fill in the blank with. We're not saved by going to church. We're not saved by calling ourselves a Christian We're not saved by teaching Sunday school. We're not saved by praying. We're not even saved by reading the Bible. Is it possible to have a big, fat, thick Bible with markers and page numbers and and things stuck in and underlining and four colors of highlighting? Is it possible to have that and not be saved? Yeah. Yes, it is. That's not what saves us. Jesus is the one and only. Life or salvation is found in him. Nothing else or no one else will save us. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Those, those phrases, if you're not already familiar, you should become familiar with those. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Those are three of the solas which came out of the Reformation and they stand against the Roman Catholic Church. They still stand against the Roman Catholic Church by grace alone means we have not merited salvation. We, we don't be good enough to earn it ourselves. It is sheer grace. It is undeserved. Through faith alone, faith is the instrument by which we grab hold of Christ. It is, it is not through anything else, good deeds, good works, um, nothing else. It is through faith, by believing. We can't add to our salvation. It's not faith plus good works. It's faith alone in Jesus There's no one else we need to seek. There's no one else we need to ask. There's no one else we need to bow before. There's no one else we need to pray to. It's Jesus alone. 
He says, and the life was the light of men. If we want to know the truth about God and about ourselves, we need to look to the light. We need to look to the truth, which is Jesus Christ who reveals all truth. John 18, 37, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Those are the words of Jesus. Light, among other things, in the Gospel of John, is revealed truth. It reveals the truth about God, about us, about our need for a Savior. Uh, it reveals the truth about uh, what is good and what is evil, not according to what the world says is good or evil, or what the world tells you should, we should do or shouldn't do, or, or what is bad and what is good, but what God has defined as good and evil. Jesus reveals the truth about those things. So if we want to see God, we need to look to the light where God can be found, and that light is in Jesus. So look at what he's told us so far, just in these opening verses. What an introduction. The Word is eternal. The Word is fully God. The Word is uncreated. The Word created all things. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is not a creature. He is our Creator, God. Jesus is the one and only giver of life and the light that reveals all spiritual truth. What an introduction. And then he moves to John the Baptist. John the Baptist, verse 6, there was a man sent by God, or sent from God, whose name was John. This is John the Baptist. He's not talking about himself, the Apostle John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So John was a prophet sent by God, John the Baptist, and he had a mission. His mission was to bear witness about the light, which means bear witness about Jesus. That was his mission. Well, what does bear witness mean? It means to testify, to confirm, to give evidence for. This is still part of John's introduction. He's not done. This, is, this runs from 1 through verse 18. So this is still part of his introduction. Why would John, in introducing Jesus, think to include John the Baptist? and this business about bearing witness. Why would he want to include that, or, or, or even maybe supplement that, or, or, or bring with the introduction? Because, I mean, let's face it, the way John has introduced him so far, um, this is an out-of-this-world introduction. There has never been an introduction like this in the history of the world, nor will there be. He, he's introducing Jesus as having no equal. He's introducing Jesus with, with no rivals. He surpasses everyone. He is greater than Abraham, greater than Moses, greater than David. He's greater than the prophets, Elijah and Elisha. He's greater than faithful Daniel in exile. I mean, who is this guy? Can you imagine if this were falling on your ears in the first century as a faithful Jewish person, and you're saying, hold on a second, he's greater than Moses? Excuse me? Hold on a second. The statements in these opening verses place Jesus within the Godhead, right next to God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. So the reason he includes John the Baptist is to serve as a witness. He's not expecting his readers to just accept everything on blind faith. He's saying, look, I've got witnesses. And what a list of witnesses he has. John the Baptist kicks it off. But when the rest of the book unfolds, we're going to see the Father, 
We're going to see the Son give witness. We're going to see the Holy Spirit give witness. We're going to see the works of Jesus give witness. We're going to see uh, signs and miracles. We're going to see other people testify and bear witness that Jesus is the Son of God. And we're going to see Scripture itself bearing witnesses. Why all these witnesses? Because witnesses help establish truth. They, they confirm. They give evidence for. And so now we have John the Baptist as the first witness in the Gospel of John. Why? Why all this witnessing and why all this? It tells us in the second half of verse 7 that all might believe through him. There it is again. Just that simple. Jesus plus belief equals eternal life. There's our formula. And then verse 8 is a denial that John the Baptist was the light. In case anyone is still clinging to John the Baptist and kind of a follower of, of him, uh, because he was, let's face it, he was a very dynamic speaker. He was different. He stood out from the rest. You remember, he was out in the wilderness. He was very rough and ready looking, and he was a strong preacher. And I, okay, that attracted people. We get that. John's saying, look, if you're still following this guy, you need to make a switch. He's not the light. He was a witness to the light, but he's not the light. So drop that. Stop following John the Baptist. You need to follow the true light, Jesus. Introducing Jesus. To summarize this opening, beginning of the beginning, we would say this. Before the beginning, a gospel account of Jesus' life and ministry, John takes the time to introduce Jesus as the eternal word, creator of all things, who is fully God. Jesus is the only one, the one and only, that we can turn to for salvation and life. He is the light and the revealer of truth. And moreover, John tells us that John the Baptist had a mission, and his mission was to bear witness to Jesus so that Jesus would, or they, people would put their faith and believe in him and have life. This is only part of the introduction. We're going to, Lord willing, get to the next half next week. But this is a lot to take in. I want to give two challenge questions. Number one, I said it was going to be this. Do you know him? Do you know the Jesus of the Bible? Not do you know of him? It's hard to get through America without knowing of Jesus. It might be possible in some places, but it's very difficult. I know most people know of him. I'm saying, do you know him with saving faith? If not, here he is. He's been introduced to you. This is Jesus. Everything we just said about Jesus is true. He is the one and only giver of life. He is the creator God. He was in existence before the beginning because he had no beginning. He is fully God, along with the Father and the Holy Spirit. But of all these things John said about him, I want to, to focus in on one statement. He said, in him was life. In him, meaning in Jesus, was life. How many of us remember the general store? Um, these were quite common in America. They were established in the 18th and 19th century. If you lived outside of a big city, which, by the way, before 1920 was the majority of America. Before 1920, most people did not live in urban areas. They were rural. It was primarily agricultural. 
So if you lived, if you were among the majority 100 years ago and you lived in one of these rural communities, you may have had a, a general store. It was this one-stop shop for everything you needed for basic life. I mean, it was all there. They had it all. Now, most of these places have gone out of business, although there still are a few general stores operating in America. And I've been to one. There's one in Windsor, Maine. It's called Hussey's General Store. And it is, it's like walking back in time. Hussey's General Store, they sell groceries and meat. They sell household goods, fabric, coats, dishes, hardware, pet supplies, along with wedding dresses and guns. They've got it all. Everything anybody would need for basic life. So it was a true general store. If you grew up in America 100 years ago, this is where you went to buy stuff. And when you went to the general store, there were no options. If you walk into a store today, you have 45 different kinds of coffee. You have all these different brands. You have all these different flavors. You have decaf, regular. You have ground. You have whole bean. You, I mean, you name it, it's on the shelf. If you went to a general store to get coffee, you had coffee in a barrel. That's it. No options. If you went to get a comb, you would not find all these different styles and shapes and sizes and colors and, and patterns. You would just find a comb. If they had it, maybe they were sold out. In that case, you, you didn't get one. You went to the general store and you didn't have any options. Today, there are almost an unlimited amount of options, whether you're at the store or if you're online. If you try to go online and buy something as simple as a hat or a pair of shoes and you start scrolling through, you're going to be there forever. It's not an, it's, there's so many options. It's not uncommon to see in the sidebar filters. I want to buy shoes. Oh, okay, what kind? Um, men's or women's? Oh, men's. All right. What kind of shoes? Running shoes? Athletic shoes? Uh, Cross-training shoes? Uh, boots? Okay, I want boots. All right. Uh, black or brown? B brown. Okay, I want, you want mid-length, low-length, low-cut, high-cut, 14-inch, 16-inch? There are all kinds of filters, and even by the time you get done applying all those, you still have to scroll through all these options. And my point is this. We used to be a people and a nation that didn't have any options. Now, that's all we have. And we import this into our spiritual life, and the world takes advantage of that, the enemy takes advantage of that, and he says, look, you have options everywhere in life. Doesn't it make sense that you would have options when it comes to the things of God? Doesn't it make sense that you would have options in what you believe? I mean, this is your personal belief. Shouldn't you have options? And our darkened, sin-filled hearts tell us, yes, that is the way it should be. I have options everywhere else I turn in my life. It seems right to me that I should have options when it comes to what I believe. It seems right to me that I should be able to live however I want and believe whatever I want and that God would accept me and that he would spare me from hell no matter what I believe. Our culture has been conditioned to think that when it comes to the things of God and our personal beliefs, that it's like Amazon instead of a general store. And that's where we are. Later in John, he calls uh, Jesus calls himself the bread of life. In him was 
life. John presents Jesus and says, in him was life. John presents Jesus to a starving world as a single loaf of bread on a bare shelf in an empty general store on the side of a dirt road in the middle of nowhere. And he said, that's it. You want to have life? There he is, Jesus. That's it. There are no other choices. Yeah, but see, where I grew up, no. Well, that's not part of my culture. The way that, no. Mm -mm. That's it. You either take the bread of life and eat and are saved, or you die. There are no options. In him was life. So my question for you, if you do not currently have faith in Christ, if you currently do not know him with saving faith, turn to him today. Talk to him. Reach out. Ask him to forgive your sins. And he promises that he will forgive your sins and that you will be given eternal life. It's just that simple. You turn to Jesus. You believe in Jesus. And Jesus gives you life. And then follow him. Join yourself to a faithful Bible-believing church and start walking with him. So number two challenge question is this. For those who have already been introduced to Jesus, maybe you've been introduced to Jesus many years ago, and you've known him for a long time, and he is your savior and faithful friend. I have this question. Are you walking with him? Because it says, in him was life. He doesn't mean one time only. He doesn't mean one night at Camp Manitoba. He means for life. In him, for life is life. Um, he doesn't mean that if you ask for forgiveness of your sin and, and then you go about and you live the rest of your life self-directed, apart from Christ, that you attend a church for the most part, but the rest of Monday through Saturday you're living on your own, that that's, that that's not what he means by in him is life. That's not it. That doesn't work. Um, you know those big VIPs, the one that get those long extended introductions? Um, the one and onlys, they're introduced. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for the one and only. After they're introduced, what happens? Well, they give their talk, and then when they're done, they walk off the side of the stage to go back behind the black curtain, and you don't see them. Maybe they go off and they go back to their high-rise apartment downtown in the city, or maybe they're whisked away on the airplane to their next important meeting, but, but you don't talk to them. They've talked to you, but you don't get to talk to them. They've been introduced to you, but they don't know you. They're not your friend. They, you don't get to spend time with them, and, and you don't get to talk with them. They've been introduced to you, but you remain a stranger to them. Not so with Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate VIP. He's on top of the top tier, and he is the one and only Son of God. And when he is introduced to you and you believe in him, you have unfettered access to him. You do get to talk to him. You do get to spend time with him. And he talks to you through his word. You have a relationship with him if you walk with him. There is life in him if you 
continue to walk with him. The Bible's clear on this. How many of ourselves, how many of us call ourselves a Christian, but are not reading the Bible on a daily basis? When was the last time you talked openly about the things of God, even mentioned Jesus' name to someone other than in church? How many of us are praying on a daily basis? I mean, you tell me. You tell me. If you spend days without talking to Jesus, is that walking with him? Probably not. In him was life. And Jesus makes this clear what in him means later on in John. He says, abide in me, which means remain in me. Remain in me, in him was life. We see the connection there. Remain in him, in him was life. To accept Jesus or become a Christian and then not remain in him, not walk with him, would be like sitting at one of these big events and having the VIP complete his talk and then afterwards get down, walk down the podium, walk through the tables, come to your table and come to your seat and look you in the eye and say, I'm ready to make a lifelong commitment to be your personal best friend. And you respond by saying, no, that's okay. <laughs> I don't think so. Um, but you know what? Give me your card because I would like to be able to get a hold of you in case I need something. But let's leave it like that. Okay, so don't stop by the house and rather you not show up at work either. Okay? I'll catch you next week. You're going to be in town next Sunday, right? I'll catch you then. I'm going to go live my life. Thanks for the offer, though. And I've got your card. If you're a believer, then you have unfettered access to him 24-7. You can talk to him. You can walk with him. He can talk to you through his word. Not only that, but he has bound himself to you. If you've put your faith in Christ... He has bound himself to you by covenant. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Your future is secure. Your sins are forgiven. And because of what he has done for you, what are you going to do in response? That's the question. How are you going to walk with him? How is 2023 going to be any different than 2022? in terms of your relationship with Jesus Christ? Or are we going to be here next January in 2024 and we're thinking, yeah, I really should do that. What action steps are you going to take? How are you going to make sure that you are walking with Christ on a daily basis? What changes are you going to make so that someone else on the outside looking in on your life can tell that person walks with Christ? That person is a follower of Jesus. With a clean conscience, we all want to be able to say, I am, with God's grace, living and abiding in, abiding with Jesus Christ. In him was life. Amen. Father, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, the eternal, uncreated word. And we thank you for this promise. In him was life. Father, if there's anyone here this morning that does not know Jesus Christ with saving faith, I pray that they would turn to him today.
this would be the day that they commit. They pull the trigger. They tie themselves to the horn and say, yes, I am today going to be a follower of Christ. Father, please forgive me. And for those of us who are in Christ, Father, we are so thankful for our salvation. Forgive us for not walking with you. Forgive us for thinking that the rest of this stuff that we do is more important than you. Help us to seek your face on a daily basis to abide in you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.